Hey guys, welcome to Fuck Small Talk. I'm your host, Mariah Joe, life and recovery coach. I have my master's in sociology and a few certifications in nutrition and behavioral health. I'm also a certified peer recovery specialist, which is a fancy way of saying I use my own experience with addiction and mental health to help others heal too. And I'm here to say fuck that, to fake fluffy talk for the sake of fitting in. You don't need to fit in, you belong. Let's dive into this week's big talk topic. Welcome to another episode of Fuck Small Talk. I am so excited to be sitting here with the wonderful coach, uh, entrepreneur, everything in between, Francesca. And we are going to be diving into Francesca's story. I love that you literally just sent me an email and you were like, hey, I see that Fuck Small Talk is a new podcast. It's out. It's launched. I love it. And how can I be part of that community? How can I be on and tell my story, even, you know, promote this new memoir and talk a little bit about my coaching and my story and what recovery means to me? And it was just beautiful. It was divine timing. The universe is so cool that you just reached out. So you are the founder of a personal empowerment brand for women, and it's called Goddess Millionaires. And you are a success mentor. You are a mentor for um, people that identify as a high achiever or are multi-passionate in their entrepreneurship, which like I relate so much to all of it. It's like, <laughs> um, and you have over a decade of experience in the coaching world. The, the success and the achievements that you've had in the last decade is phenomenal. And the, the part that's underneath all of that is really what I'm most excited about is who you are as a person, where you came from. So first of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm so excited to be part of this new paradigm where we are finally talking about shit that matters, where you know we're no longer trying to be good little girls and good daughters and good friends and good wives and good insert here or worse nice like what does nice even mean uh-huh. um so i'm just so grateful that you've had the courage to even create a platform like this and have become open enough where the universe can send um other women who are on a mission to really destigmatize and to offer a loving and supportive community to many of us who as children felt completely out of place, completely forgotten about, felt bad for simply existing. And then somehow we thought that we could outrun that, outnumb that, outbusy it, outperform it, insert here. And there comes a point, especially when you're thinking about having your own family or you know, you're in a long-term relationship, just shit starts to hit the fan and it's just not working anymore. Like we outgrow our coping mechanism. So I just first want to say like huge kudos to you to even creating a platform for us to even come together today. And then people get to listen to this. So how cool is that? It's so (laughs) cool. I know this has been a dream of mine for, I'm not joking. I've sat on this dream for two years. I came up with the name of the podcast a while ago. And, you know, we'll, we'll dive in a little bit for the listeners that have been on my journey with me so far. They have heard a little bit about like the holdup and the the different, the new traumas that kind of came up in the last two years of the, you know, like the reason why I paused and it's such a weird dance. I do want to get into like your, your story and kind of hear that. And then when, you know, when, when it's time, I would love to hear a little bit more about trauma and maybe a sh- shame that is attached to that because I know that inner child healing is something that you're really familiar with and that you help your clients Mm -hmm. with and that you've done yourself. 
if I'm being honest, yes, I've launched this badass podcast. I'm so freaking excited to be here. And I know that I'm worthy of being the host of this thing that I've created and that I'm super excited to create. And at the same time, I am going through a breakup right now. I am just dipping my toes back into the scary world of codependency, recovery, healing. It's like a constant healing process. Like, yes, I'm in recovery. I have been for four years and I've really hit major speed bumps and uh, it's been really hard. <laughs> so hearing you talk yeah. about like being a, being a good woman, being silent, smiling, going along with the flow, like it's gut-wrenching to me right now because that's been my experience in recovery as someone who's been really just, I don't know, trying to figure it out. I think, you know, we have to really give ourselves grace. First of all, the strongest leaders are always holding duality. There is always, you know, there's always a flip side to something. I know that, you know, when I became a um, number one release for a book that I had published, I had four cents in my bank account. I know that when I left my marriage version 1.0 after 12 years, um, I was supposed to somehow finish a memoir. Like it's, we're always holding duality in our life. And I think that was something that was never really normalized for us, especially as children, because there was usually some sort of chaos. There was usually some sort of victim or villain. And so we have to really give ourselves grace because we are still adult children. Um, and there's still a lot of tools that we just didn't fully develop. We didn't have access to because as children, it really was survival mode. You know, we call it codependency now, but as children, it was survival mode. And it takes awareness to even have this conversation. And I think where people sometimes it gets a little bit slippery is when that shame does enter the conversation of like, why am I not healed yet? Why is this happening again? I fucked it up again. Like, we tend to stay in that like toilet bowl of a mess when we stay in that kind of vibration versus but how would I have handled this four years ago? And even just going back to the introduction where you said, I want to talk to the person that you are. A year ago, I couldn't have that conversation because my whole life was driven by how shiny I could be. And, you know, society really rewarded me for that. They were like, oh my gosh, you're so wise for your age. Or, oh my gosh, you're so successful for your age. Or, oh my gosh, you're an entrepreneur and you've had five businesses. That's incredible. Or you got married at 23 to the perfect person or whatever the thing is. It's like, I always, and I talk about this in the memoir, I always had to keep the oohs and the ahs coming because without them, I had no sense of self. And, you know, we really have to give ourselves credit with how far we've come, um, even in the past month, six months, one year, healing is not linear. And, and literally, we are quantum leaping all the time. But oftentimes, we sabotage that celebration, because we're just not there yet. We're not good enough yet. And it's finding that completeness and that peace within us in this very moment without any kind of outside validation, like another relationship or a bank account balance or how many people are following, et cetera. And it, and it just honestly first starts with awareness. Yeah. Yeah. I think like that's, that's been one of my biggest downfalls. I've had every therapist that I've seen in the last four years, I think like my whole life actually has been like, you're really self-aware and, and for your age or whatever, you know, they say. And I'm like, yeah, thanks. It's trauma. <laughs> like I'm really... I'm really aware of it, you know, but that's the thing is, since I was a little kid, it's asking why, 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 but why, 
you know, and wanting more explanation on why it is that we do certain things, why it is that we don't talk about certain things. Like it's reality. It happened. Why can't we speak about it? And I guess like that's why this podcast is here. You know, like this is why these conversations light me up and the work that you do as a as a coach and to help other women entrepreneurs like be successful in their life, no matter it's not like it's not like no matter what they've gone through, it's like in spite of it, like because of mm-hmm. it, you are this successful, not like this happened. And so but don't worry, you can still be successful somehow. It's like, no, like that's still part of your story. And it led you to great success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's also realizing that everything in our life is a chapter. And, you know, one of my greatest missions, like with my memoir is I entered the foster care system when I was 12. And I, a couple of years ago, got involved with an organization called Child Advocates, and they're part of CASA if you're in the United States. And essentially, you're a guardian at Lightem for any child who is in um, child protective services. And the reason why this is so important is because a CPS case worker could have like 40 children at one time, and there's no way that they can actually go to the schools and check with a therapist and make sure they're getting their medication and make sure they're passing, you know, their tests and doing home checks. And so in the 1980s, there was a judge that asked for volunteers to kind of be guardian at items and speak on behalf of these children. So I was involved with this. And the girl that I got was, well, I had got a family of seven kids, but one girl in particular, she was 12 years old. And I remember that's how old I was when I entered the system. And I just thought if I could just tell my story where I could remind children, teenagers that it doesn't end here, like this is a very real chapter in your life and it will define certain parts of you, but like, this isn't your story. And I think we really have to remember that whenever we're going through something, especially when that fear kicks in, especially when coping mechanisms that we used to use are no longer working, or we finally have that much awareness and we're actually listening to ourselves. Cause there's a big difference between having an awareness and actually working and, um, advocating for ourselves. Those are two completely different traits. You can know, Um, yeah, you can know that something's up and that you can know what to do, but are you doing it? Like Like you can know your parent is a horrible parent, but are you going no contact with them or do they still have access to you? Because you want to be good. You want to hope they'll change. And so that takes time and nobody can write a prescription for that. And that's something that we really need to keep in mind, but it's just remembering during these hard moments in our life, especially in adulthood, when we get these flashes or we really feel like, oh God, this again, or we feel ourselves like, you know, going back within ourselves and really kind of doing old habits that we know really aren't beneficial. It's like, but this is just a chapter. This isn't my story. This isn't where my story ends. And you can always turn a new page. And I think just remembering that can be so powerful, even on some of your most like demotivating days. Yeah. And it's so hard when you're like, when you truly felt like you really loved one of the chapters and it's closing against your own will. You know, and yeah. so like, and I think a lot of that when we're talking about like inner inner child healing and um, trauma and all the things that we need to be self-aware about and then do the work to look into it instead of run away from it um, and then do the work that's needed in order to heal through it. Like it's not, we can't just witness it and expect it to like scab over. I've been um, a big thinker my whole life. And so with that, I guess for me personally comes big feelings. <laughs> And then with that comes shame, right? Because like you opened up this talk, you know, as women, I've been told, well, you think too much. 
well, you're, you're, you are feeling too much into it or, you know, kind of being shamed for wanting to have these conversations. And so I was like, you know what, <laughs> I'm going to make a platform and I'm just going to say what I need to say and talk to pe- my people, like people that are, that are on board with that, that like we have to actually look inward instead of wear the mask. I feel like we've given a lot of our manuals to how we operate as a human, like who our soul came here to be. We've given that manual to a lot of people that don't know how to operate. They don't even know how to operate their own manual. And so we have to be really careful sometimes like where our beliefs come from. And I've always had this really, I'm sure like most children that came from really chaotic, abusive, traumatizing backgrounds that I was really just unworthy. You know, my, my dad completely abandoned me. My mom was extremely abusive. She suffers from alcoholism and, and narcissism and several paranoia disease. I mean, you name it, she's got a concoction of all the things. And she just always reminded me of how unworthy I was. And I thought it was something that I had, you know, processed in the last year and was really aware of it, but it was still eating at me. It was eating at me. And I, and I just kept sitting with it. You know, it's like, I imagine I don't have children, but if I were to have a child and my child was sick, you know, there's really nothing you can do for them except sit with them and reassure them that they're going to get better and, you know, put on their favorite TV show and give them a glass of water, you know, just really sitting with that inner child and really just seeing like, why do we believe we're so unworthy? And it was literally an email that I received from my mother, literally 35 years later, a few days ago, verbatim, like you are unworthy um, to have me as a mother, you are unworthy. Like if I, I regret that I gave birth to you, if I could, I would take it back. I mean, this is still the same thing that she told me as a child. And so I instantly thought, you know what? I don't really align with that belief anymore because that's her belief. And she's totally entitled, entitled to that. And do I think it's vile? And do I think it's devastating and cruel? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, the only person who's going to believe in me and believe in my worthiness is myself. And sometimes we just have to find that root cause and remove it. And even though it's a very painful process, and majority of us avoid healing because it hurts, it's hard, it's Mm -hmm. much easier to do other things to cope with it. But it is so required for that deep exhale that we're all looking for, that we're all just like, if it's just around this corner, or if they could just do this, or if I could finally just do this, it's like that deep exhale, that groundedness, but that really comes from the other side of walking through that devastation that we, we are often resisting. Yeah. And, and, and so many of the people that I speak with and and my story has addiction in it as well. And um, addiction in a, in the grand scheme of things is a very unmanageable, very life-threatening coping strategy to try to feel better in a world that we've never felt good in. Like so many of us are just really trying to um, not look too closely at this big bright sun that is trying to like shine these things on us. And we're like, I didn't ask for this. Like, I just, I would rather put my head in the sand because like that feels more comfortable. (laughs) Um, and for, for, for years, it is more comfortable. It's controversial when I say it like this, but for me, I'm not afraid to say controversial things. And Truly how I feel inside is that with as much trauma and things that I had going on for years, the suicidal ideation, the unworthiness, the if I just wasn't here, you know, this would be so much easier. When I was feeling that way and I didn't know how to heal, I didn't know where to go with it. Alcohol helped me stay alive long enough to try to figure out what it is that could help me. 
And, um, yeah. and that, that's kind of, um, I, I say that gently because I, I'm never promoting abusing any type of substance or other toxic behavior that's really keeping us stuck and keeping us spinning our wheels and keeping us hurting. Um, but I think that we are really, really smart individuals. And I think growing up in so much pain and in so much confusion, the mind and the body are going to do what it knows to do best. And that's how, that's to protect ourselves. And sometimes that comes in forms that are still destructive, um, but it just doesn't Absolutely. know better. You know what I mean? Yeah. For me, it was work. I mean, I would just work till I got ill and I had burnout numerous times and I was validated by it. Just like I'm sure if someone has a substance addiction, they're validated in some way, either being like life of the party or like easygoing or, you know, it's, it's just, it's casual. It's not a big deal. And it wasn't until really 2020 happened and I pretty much lost everything overnight. And I just literally lived in my closet for two weeks. And I was like, who am I? Like, am I even a funny person? Am I, am I a nice person? Like, do do my friends want to be friends with me because I don't have money anymore? Like it was like my whole identity was my bank account and was like, again, like how flashy can I be? How shiny can I be? And it wasn't that I, I mean, I, I loved what I was doing, but I was doing it for the wrong reasons. And so I also just want to add that, that I think a lot of our workaholism um, is another version of substance abuse because it's very easy to numb yourself when all you're focused on is other people or other people's problems yeah. or essentially like berating yourself that you're not making enough money or you're you're your harshest critic when it comes to especially as an entrepreneur or like a driven woman and that's why I think being a high achiever is is a really beautiful incredible thing like I definitely was put here on this earth to really embody leader like qualities but I wasn't here to work myself to death. And if I didn't get a hold on what was actually motivating that, I would not have the quality of life that I have today. And that's one, been one of my biggest pillars with, with Goddess Millionaires. It's like that, that duality of feminine and masculine energetics and how it is very hard to hold the feminine and be in your feminine, especially as a woman, if you've operated your entire life out of, out of masculinity, again, out of survival mode. And um, a big part of the work I do is really bringing women back home to their bodies because it's so easy to leave through whatever your addiction is. And it can, it can show up in so many different ways. So many, you know, and it's, um, it's not like, I'm so glad that you brought up workahol, workaholism um, because uh, I have a touch of that as well. I took myself through a master's program and got a master's degree in very active addiction um, before it got worse, you know, it was much worse the two years after I got my degree. But like, as long as I could bring something home and show my my papa and Anna and my mom and be like, look it, I got a gold star, you know, um, like, th that was, that was my version of masking as well. And so it was and and plus, like, we have all of the other versions that that are super relatable, like overeating, um, or um, maybe working out too much. Um, you know, it's like, if you are uh, doing, if you're engaging in these behaviors that are getting you to not spend time with yourself and not be present, and you're focusing on other people, other places, other things, other versions of yourself, like, um, you're not focusing on who you really are. And I think like, asking yourself why that is, is one of the most painful mm -hmm. questions that kind of gets us to just keep on deterring it and keep on deflecting until, I mean, some of us, some of us um, are through, 
with our life and have never looked at ourselves fully. Yeah. Or we'll have children and then start projecting everything onto them. And then we're not really ending the cycle. And and that's been my biggest thing is like, I ultimately want to be a cycle breaker in my family. I mean, my whole line of family includes alcoholism, includes domestic violence. I mean, you name it, it's, it's a cocktail. And, and, you know, it was an old paradigm. It was this idea that, well, the man puts the food on the table and the woman basically is there to have children. And there was a time that the women in our families couldn't have credit cards or even like, I know my great grandmother had to leave her son in a motel room overnight and never came back because she had to marry someone else who didn't want her sons, but she could bring the daughter and she needed to be able to have money to send him, you know, a jacket for the winter. And like women in our lineage really suffered in so many ways because they had to. And, and we have the benefit, but we also need to really realize that this is such a privilege. It's almost like this really beautiful, delicate gift that we've been given that we, for the first time in our life, can like make our own money and make our own way and have a voice and have pretty much equal rights compared to like where we've come from. And it's up to us to stop perpetuating the cycle onto our next set of children, um, because ultimately that's how we create a healthier collective and society. And that's been the biggest thing. That's why I wrote the memoir. It's like, you know, for so long, I didn't, my, my situation was unique to me, but I know I'm not special. And my hopes was that, you know, by sharing my story, this is where we find our strength because so many of us have been taught to just struggle in silence. And that was just something I no longer wanted to do. Yeah. And that's that's so many of us that are born into traumatic situations, dysfunctional families beyond just the word dysfunction. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I always say that but just because like it's a normal dysfunctional family. Like there's no such thing as <laughs> like it's a family. Perfect. perfect. <laughs> yeah. And if it is like this perfect family, that is a family that's wearing a mask. And there's probably a lot of things happening underneath. Um, just because like, there's so many different people and personalities and all the things that go into building a family unit, like how could there not be dysfunction in some way, shape or form? Um, but I have, I have two sisters, I'm a middle sister and neither of us or none of us have kids yet been talked about. And it's something that we feel possibly called to have in future chapters in our lives. Um, but there is so much trauma, like you mentioned, alcoholism, um, domestic violence, just just the shame. I think that we're still carrying around. It's it's frustrating, you know, like I feel like I have gone through four years of healing and I've healed in so many ways. And for me, it was starting with dropping alcohol and dropping drugs and trying to figure out who I am and how to be present with myself without the numbing and the fog. Um, and it's been a great journey, but it's been, I can tell that like, that was a chapter of my life and mm-hmm. recovery never ends. And my recovery story is now shifting into the point of like, I need to look a lot more into this term codependency, um, and healing this inner child, the reparenting aspect of myself, because I have in the last year had So many new traumas come up that I have started to lean on substances here and there and certain toxic behaviors and being in a codependent relationship for two years almost. And and now I'm exiting that. But I think I was kind of stuck in this tumultuous 
cycle of being like, well, if I'm not this sober human, if I'm not this image that I've created online as like this recovery coach and person that's in recovery and feeling good in my life and my forward, my forward direction, who am I then if that isn't my identity now? And as new traumas have kicked up with my dad and um, many things, you know, my relationship and everything that I was just trying to grasp onto, um, how how can I still be worthy? Um, and how can I still have this podcast? And how can I still talk about inner healing when I'm making certain choices that don't reflect what I'm supposed to stand by? And th- is that the definition of addiction? Am I stuck? Do you know what I mean? Like, and and it's just like, I know that there's something deeper underneath like the random, if I want to have a glass of wine or um, like if I wanted to make that choice on a weekend, I know enough now in my addiction healing that I'm not, I'm not um, going to the bars and being uh, any version of how I used to drink. But there is something inside me that knows that I chose to pick up that drink because I'm still really wounded on the inside. And there is mm-hmm. this, there's this inside version of me that is like, it's the shame. It's the uh, feeling like this is all that you deserve. Um, and that it, it's like a self-sabotaging uh, mechanism where I'm like, um, justifying these certain behaviors because I'm like, well, I don't want to go home and journal and talk about how I felt throughout the day. I'd rather have a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. And those are the so I, that, that are starting to like really like sit with me. You know what I mean? That I'm like, okay, why is it that I'm acting out in these ways? And how do I talk about it in a non-shameful way and open up to my community and to, to, I mean, I've been working with a sponsor. I'm still part of a 12 step program, but I'm really, I'm really dipping my toe into like what it means to recover. If it's not complete mm-hmm. abstinence, what's harm reduction? You know what I mean? I think, you know, the biggest thing for me is I had a mentor once tell me that, or she has this saying that she uses all the time. Um, you were born worthy and nothing changed. And I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, that's a cute little slogan, you know? And it wasn't until I really did a visualization at some point and I could picture the tiny little hands that I was born with and the way that we look at children when they're born as the most incredible, beautiful gift. Like, oh my gosh, we're swooning over them. Everything about them is perfect. And then something happens as we grow up and we're told all the ways that we're not perfect. And we're, and we're told all the ways that we've fucked up and we told all the ways how we should have been different. And again, there is, there is a shedding that has to happen. It's like, you finally have to put down this really heavy backpack that you've been carrying around full of everyone else's beliefs. Even if you just put it down and you don't know what to believe, but you're like, I'm just not available for that anymore. And so it's really like, telling yourself and believing like I was born worthy and nothing has changed. It gets to the point where you can do that with your abuser as well. Um, It takes time, but I I really have gotten that to a place where I might not be able to be in a very forgiving place in the moment with the person with who they are right now. But if I can picture them when they were born with their tiny little hands, it gives me so much compassion for what they must have gone through because nobody is born an addict. Nobody is born violent. Like these things are taught to us. Again, it's systemic issues. Majority of the abuse and abusers come from within our own family units. And we've been taught so long to keep things hush hush and in the family. And so it really is our job 
to define our worthiness. And that starts with, you know, thinking a a better feeling thought, even if it's that simple. And so it's like, you know, I don't really want to go home and journal. I'd rather have this glass of wine. It's like, well, why is that? Like, why don't you want to do that for yourself? Like what could future you thank you for having the glass of wine or writing in the journal? Well, okay, fine. Writing in the journal. It's like, well, what if we made a mocktail? Like, what if we created a ritual? Like there was a time in the evenings that I was having severe panic attacks and, you know, I started creating evening rituals for myself. So I had something to look forward to, whether it was a sleepy tea or turning on like little jazz music at night or buying a, a frou-frou candle and cuddling with my cat, like whatever the thing was, it's like, how can I, how can I celebrate the way that I end my day? Because the other thing with, especially like alcohol, it's the first thing to come out during celebration. It's the first thing to come out at night. Like it's, it's just a, a knee jerk reaction. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're on a road to recovery and you know, you're just going to feel guilty or shameful, then it's like, how can I set myself up for success? And that is part of reparenting ourselves because one, we were never mirrored that. And two, we were never taught that tool. When we were children, we were just trying to make the best decisions possible. And we didn't have anyone to tell us if that if they were right or wrong. We didn't have anyone to hold our hands as we made them. Like, And we're still operating like that as adults. So we just have to notice when it's happening. And the moment that we're like, I don't feel very good. Like I have this shame. I feel guilty. It's like, you know what? I don't want to feel like that again. So how can I do this differently in the future? And then letting it go. So we put the healed version of ourselves on a pedestal. And it's essentially saying like, I want to be an Olympic athlete, but you haven't been to the gym in like 10 years. So you go to the gym and you're not going to sprint 10 miles. You might start with running half a mile without getting winded. And like, we need to give ourselves some time in our learning curve. But as long as we're showing up to the gym every day, as long as we're committed, we're hiring the coach, we're going to the Olympics, without a doubt, you're going to be an Olympic athlete. Like if you have the desire, it's already happened. Like I always say there are memories from the future, like that version of you, she's there. And a lot of times when we're struggling in our current humanness, it, we can call upon her and we can ask her, like, what would you do in this moment? Like, how did you see yourself through this, this challenging time? Help me see things differently. And she has so much wisdom that's specifically for you. So that's like one of the greatest tools you can use. And also asking yourself and being really, really honest. And if you don't want to journal, like voice note this out to yourself. It's like, what part of me doesn't get to be seen when I am quote unquote healed? Because there is still part of ourselves like, you know, that shame or feeling like the victim or like, kind of like, well, I did it again. And like, we feel comforted in that moment. Like we feel comforted when we're depressed because people are like, are you okay? Everything, everything's going to be all right. Like when we're the healed version of ourselves, we don't get that comfort because we give it to ourselves. And so if we can be radically honest with ourselves about what we're actually going to have to let go, this is the thing that's blocking us to get to where it is that we want to go. Yes. Yep. And I think like that's been something I'll speak from my own personal story, but I I do attend 12-step meetings and I am involved. And um, that's been kind of like how I've, how I've done my recovery journey. It's kind of, I found community online and everything. I think like the biggest thing is finding connection, right? Finding a group that I connect with. And there is this weird dance that I've been doing in like the last year where I am well aware of new traumas that came up um, 
just so you you know too, but it's been through the other podcast episodes that um, you know, Christmas of 2021, my dad, my dad and I got into an altercation and he went to jail and I went to the ER with an almost broken leg. And it was, you know, it was something that was I didn't understand at the time was as debilitating as it was. Because again, I'd been sober for X amount of years and I was like, I'm healed, I'm okay. Like, and I remember one of the first thoughts that I had after I fell down the stairs, you know, I'm like laying there waiting for the EMTs. And I was like, I wonder what good is going to come out of this for our family. Like there has to be some kind of positive change now getting law enforcement involved and getting some like behaviors to change. But ever since then, it's like I've been really trying to figure out how to be gentle with myself, with the thoughts that I've been having, how to be gentle with the behaviors that I've been choosing when they're not aligned with this like auto, like all healed version of myself. And then, you know, how to try to release some of that shame because I feel like it took my it took it feels like a downward trajectory in my healing when that happened. And I feel like I used to be stronger in my recovery than I have been in the last year, which is so interesting to me because this is when this podcast is launching and like my life is still moving forward. And I'm, I have been expanding in my recovery journey this whole time. It looks a lot different than I expected. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's up and down on the way up, like everything, like the stock market, your heartbeat. Yeah. And so if we can normalize that and it's, it's, you know, it's our humanness. Again, I don't know if that shame is ever going to go away. And I don't know if like these, these initial circumstances or, or thoughts around the circumstances are ever going to go away. That's us being human. But what I can tell you that healing does give us, and I think you'll find a lot of strength in this, and, and it will remind you of your personal power, is that you get to choose. You get to choose how much shame you want to feel. You get to choose if you even want to feel shame. You get to choose, you know, a better feeling thought because we know that thoughts impact feelings and feelings are impacting our actions and the actions are impacting our results. Um, and it could just be starting really small. Like, let's say you say hi to the mailman and he doesn't say back and all of a sudden your abandonment wound gets triggered and you're like, who the fuck does he think he is? And, you know, like you could catch yourself in that moment and go, better feeling thought. Okay. You know what? He's probably just really busy. Like I'm sure I, I miss people all the time. Oh, well, does not feel better. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm going to like continue on with my day. So it's like, it really can be simple. And I think especially as trauma survivors, we're so used to dealing with like catastrophic, huge issues in our life. Like, I don't think everyone can relate to their parent invoking physical harm on them where they have to go to the emergency room like that's not everyone's experience so we're used to dealing with really big heavy shit and so the idea of like tweaking little things feels like so minuscule but this really is the compound effect because if we can nail it and all the small things in our life then we can nail it with the big things too 100 percent yeah, that is that gives me strength. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. It's like um this is what I mean is like it's been I feel like for the first year it was really freaking difficult to do some of that inner healing work and then the second year I was like I got this, you know. And I got to remind myself continuously that like 4 years in it's not a long time and a lot of major new traumas have also come up in my in my years of being here. And so like I I feel like I did not plan to disclose that or really talk about that on this episode. <laughs> well, today. here we are. 
But yeah, honestly, he, here we are. And in one month, I'll, I'll live in my own one bedroom apartment. And I will not be, you know, with my ex in this situation anymore. Everything feels like abandonment to me right now. And it's so hard to live in it. You know what I mean? To sit in a situation that we know that we have to escape from, but we don't know how to escape. I think like that is um, kind of the theme of my life. And I'm just like, now I'm in another situation where I don't know how to get out of this. And I'm not with myself. My my spirit and my peace can be disrupted whenever. And I don't really have control over that. And that is, um, it can be debilitating to me if I don't have a structure in place. And I, I know that a lot of the listeners relate to this. Like you have to have a plan in place because how you choose to think about something reflects how you're going to feel about that thing, reflects the behavior that you choose on how to react or how to like respond to that mm -hmm. and how to choose something that is healthier for you and how to not abandon yourself when you feel like the world is abandoning you. And I definitely want to like validate what you've been through is, is extremely traumatic. It's, it's holding that and then also deciding how you want to move forward. And you know, I was in a very codependent relationship for a long time. And it was part of the reason why my 12-year uh, marriage had a very big breakdown in it. And there came a day where I got to choose myself. And this, again, is like, this really is the gift of healing. And healing is never finished, as we know. And we know it's not linear. And we can get really hard on ourselves when we're kind of in those valleys because we're just living for the peaks, right? We're just living for that adrenaline rush that we get the gold star because, again, this is how we have been literally wired to operate. And those wires aren't just naturally going to rewire themselves. Like it, it starts with just the simplest thoughts, but there came a point in time where I had to choose myself. And that meant walking away from my marriage for seven weeks. And it meant cleaning up my side of the street. And it meant being able to learn how to communicate what my needs were and what my desires were and bringing a whole new set of terms and conditions to my marriage and not caring what anyone thought about it, not caring what my in-laws thought. I shared it on Instagram. Like I was very honest with it because I couldn't live like that anymore because it was so comfortable. Like I know how to live like that. I've lived like that my whole life. And it came to a point where it was like, but I feel stifled. Like I'm so angry at myself and like I'm in my body. No one else gets to feel like this. And so it really is like this quote, what we're not changing, we're choosing. And it doesn't mean we're bad people. And it doesn't mean that the people that we're in relationships with are bad people. It means that we're an energetic match for them in our relationships. We are the mirrors to each other's wounds. That's why we pick these people. And that seven weeks gave me so much power and clarity and there was so much self-love and healing that came from just giving myself that and I had so many friends that were like but aren't you worried it's not going to work out and I was like I don't own this person I don't own this relationship like I want to be in a relationship that I feel good and I either want to be happy with that person with them or I want to be happy for them without them but I want to be happy and right now like that's not happening and so a lot of times what I find is when we feel like we're stuck in these situations where we're like, I'm really familiar with this, or I always choose this, or, you know, this is, this is what I do. We have to ask ourselves, why are we subconsciously choosing this? Because we are choosing it. We, we picked that person, that person checked boxes that we, we wanted checked and it doesn't feel good. But when we can ask ourselves that question, there's also a lot of healing in there because once you can really look at it, you can decide, well, do I feel like this is worth saving? Do I feel 
saving, not in the sense that I get to be a hero because that's what I've done my whole life. But like, do I feel like this person is a really good person? And do I feel like I could maybe clean up some things on my side of the street? Because at the end of the day, people are going to walk with you or they're going to fall to the side. And what's most important is that you're really truly living your life for yourself. And that starts with choosing what that looks like for you. I'm obsessed with everything that you just said. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, I feel like asking yourself why it is that I keep on choosing this thing when I know that like, I feel stifled when I make this choice, whether that be the choice to pick up a drink when you've told yourself over and over again that it's not part of your value system. It's not what you truly want. Um, But like, here we are again, pouring a glass, Mm -hmm. like, what are we doing? You know, and staying in a relationship or a friendship or whatever it is, a job, even, even like in a workaholic progression, I don't know, like a, like a season of like working Mm -hmm. consistently, you know, it's like, this doesn't feel good to me right now. And I keep on choosing this day after day after day. And then I think like, that's where I struggle with the most is the, the inner critic in me goes, yep, well, you've chose this. Like, this is why you feel this way is because you've made this choice for a year. No, like, no wonder why you feel like shit. You know, this is your You get to criticize yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and so like to, to recognize that voice and recognize that that voice is actually trauma and that voice isn't me because my inner being, my spirit would never talk to me like that because it doesn't know that it only knows love. And it only knows unconditional, um, like support, and it just wants us to thrive. And I know that, I know that, like um, everything is always working out for me. I say that all the time, and so I recognize I, I'm going. I'm doing this thing where I'm going back, and I was the one that brought to my partner that like things are not feeling compatible. It doesn't feel like we're moving forward on the same path. And so, what are we going to do about this? So many of us just kind of sit in our own heads on our day to day, whether we're commuting to work or, you know, sitting, uh, you know, we get home and it's like we don't want to feel the way that we feel. So we throw on Netflix. And um, I know that we're not the only two people that have had experience like that in our life. And so coming on here and just being open and honest on like, you know, I uh, I'm in a position where I can and I do help so many people. And at the same time, being a leader in some form doesn't mean that we are always strong and perfect and shiny and all these things that you've said, you know. Still to this day, one of the things I struggle with the most is quitting things that are no longer aligned for me. Like I just keep, keep going. I keep trying, keep hoping. I'm like, oh, just, and I don't even really know what it is that I'm looking for. It's just like, I'm not one to release. And, but I always have this conversation and I had it today with, with something. And I was like, I really just don't want to do this. You know, and in the past, I would be like, well, get over it. This is what we have to do. You know, you want to be successful. It's like that whole hustle mentality, which is extremely toxic. And instead, now the conversation kind of goes like this. Okay, do you just not want to do it today? Or you just don't want to do it, period? Well, I kind of just don't want to do it. Okay, so are we good with like calling it quits? Well, I'm just kind of scared that this is as good as it's going to get for me. It's like, imagine talking to a small child, you know, you're like, Oh, come on, Francesca, like, look at your life. You really think this is as good as it's going to get? Like, imagine you have the idea. It means it's already happened. I know, but I'm scared. Okay, well, what if we just don't do it today? Like, what if we just own that? Okay, fine. You, like, do you think we'll be okay? Yeah, I think we'll be okay. Okay, cool. And then you like move on. It can be like as simple as that. But in, in the past, it would always be like, I couldn't, as, as one person, I was, um, 
I was telling them, they gave me the analogy and now I use it all the time as a toy. You know, when we're children and we pick up a toy and we start playing with it and we put it down and we move on to another toy, there's no adult that runs past us going, oh no, you picked up the red truck. You got to play with that red truck for the rest of your life. Like you made a decision. It's the red truck only. And you're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. You're right. This is as good as it gets for me. I can only play with the red truck. And it's like, no, you get to pick up things, you get to play with them and you get to put them down and you get to move on. And again, especially because a lot of us high achievers did like our high achievers because we had to survive. There's this, we're terrified. We're going to fuck it up. And that is that constant, like inner dialogue that like, it is impossible for me to fuck up anything. I was born worthy and nothing has changed. I can trust my desires. My ideas were given to me for a reason. I can express my feelings with kindness and compassion, the exact compassion that I would want extended to me. And I'll trust that the people that are meant to receive it will receive it and they'll be in my life. And those that aren't, aren't meant for me. And we have to somehow make peace with that. But that really does set us free. Yeah. And I think that it's the somehow that gets me, uh, you know, caught up. You know, it's like it's such a journey. It's such a practice. What heals me is not going to be what heals you or what heals any, you know, just because I say that this worked for me or, you know, also I want to reiterate too, like just because I've now expressed like that I've stumbled and faltered and fell uh, a few times. I've picked myself up every single time that I made a decision that like the version of me the next day wakes up and says, I don't like the way that I feel that I made that choice. Um, You know, and so just like being self-aware and having the recovery tools and support system and community and, you know, it's everything that I've been building for years since I've decided, you know, since I went to treatment and I I really, I decided I wanted to stay alive. And I've been working on things every single day. And it doesn't mean that I'm not going to fall or that I'm not going to make the choice to literally lay down and just stay there for a minute. Um, Yeah, like sometimes it's like a it's a real choice, you know, Um, and it's okay to not be proud of yourself in a certain decision, but then also recognize maybe what version of you, what part of you made that choice and where you're hurting. And then exactly what you said, talk to that inner child piece of you and sit with her and ask her what it is that she needs in order to make sure that she doesn't keep hurting herself. Yeah. And that she and reassure her she's lovable no matter what she's not lovable just because she gets gold stars and is always on like the clean bandwagon. She's even lovable when, you know, she might hop off for a bit or she's even, even more lovable when she's maybe struggling in a relationship and a little bit lost, you know, it's just sitting with her and and saying, what do we need right now? It might just be a conversation that you have, you know, even with your partner or future partner, like I really want to discuss the terms of con- and conditions of our relationship. You know, they've really changed for me, especially after this healing I've done. And these are the things that are important to me. And I understand that you need time to respond and think about that. And I, I need some time to get even more clear on where I'm going in my life. But there is a genuine love for in between a lot of people. And I think that if we could ch- just have a little bit more honesty and a little bit less knee-jerk decisions I think a lot of relationships could be saved and even I think a lot of wounded people are actually put together to heal together and not in a meshed way and not in a codependent way but in a you know what this we're on this journey together but we're also have sovereignty and we're also incredibly uh responsible for ourselves and and the type of person that we are in this relationship but that comes with having really hard conversations. And a lot of times that's us leading them and going first. Yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, there's something that an old wise man said at one of my first meetings. He said, you have to do it by yourself and you don't have to do it alone. And it's just kind of recognizing that like we it's the choice, you know, it's the choice factor. Like this is now something that is yours to do for you. And you're going to have a community that rallies around you. And until we open up and start to have these conversations and say, fuck small talk, like if we're not having these hard conversations, then every single one of us thinks that we're alone in our experience. And so why would we think that we could connect? And when will that shame ever dissipate if we don't open up and just talk about it? So ever since I was a child, I knew I wanted to write a book. And I think a big part of that was because I endured so much physical abuse, gaslighting, really navigating, um, you know, parentified child here, like entering the foster care system at 12, living with strangers. And my ticket out was really just over for performing, you know, getting the scholarships, like I said, being as shiny as possible, moving overseas, like excelling in all the things. Cause I really thought that when you became an adult, you just kind of out ran everything, you outworked it, then you got money and then you, whatever things were perfect. And that's not all how it goes. Um, and so I had, I always knew I wanted to write a book, but I always thought like I would write the book when I had quote unquote actually achieved something like, you know, I don't know, I was on a stage or I signed a record label or something that was like quote unquote noteworthy. And um, my healing journey really started in 2020, as I briefly mentioned before. And um, actually at the beginning of 2022, I was um, kind of in, really into my my coaching business at the time. It was, it was to help florists create consistent income with hotels. So it was very like business coaching. And I had realized quickly that I, I didn't know how to hold these women and their mindset issues because I had just operated from a, you just get shit done. Like I didn't, I didn't understand why people were struggling. And so that really bothered me. And that's when I really started diving into personal development, human design, and just really trying to understand people better. And then finally, beginning of 2022 rolled around and I was like, all right, universe, like I'm ready to be a leader. And the universe was like, you need to write a book. I mean, it was like clear as day. And ironically, it's when the whole like Venus um, entered a whole new retrograde and she just came out and I'm about to publish. So it totally makes sense now if I look back in hindsight. Um, but I was very resistant. I was like, no, 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 I don't want to, I don't really want to publish a book. Like, I just want to be a leader and I want to be a coach and, you know, all the things. How, was did like, the write a book. So, how did the universe tell you that? Like, what was coming through? I just get really clear downloads. It's literally like a, a voice in my head that's just like, write a book. I mean, that's it. There's no other explanation. Um, I'm also in human design, a splenic projector. So, that essentially is like it's a hit or a ping. And it's like, I call it the one hit wonder. Where like for a second, your whole body is on fire. You're like, oh my God, I'm going to write a book. And then the fear instantly kicks in. And you're like, oh my God, no, I can't write a book right now. Like people are still alive. What will people think? Um, so in true Francesca fashion at the time, I was like, fine, fine. I'll write a book, but it has to be done by April. So I gave myself two months to write a book. <laughs> <laughs> and I had no as idea. That, as someone that has goals to write a book in my future, I've always felt that too. So this is also why I'm picking your brain. Like I want to know all of the thoughts and process of this book. And you're like two months. Perfect. <laughs> two months. That was like my bandwidth for it. I like hired, I jumped into a program. I learned how to self-publish. I hired um, a really high-end editor to make sure that, you know, my book was um, DEI credited that, you know, I wasn't just writing this about some poor little white girl who had a struggle problem. Like I was really bringing awareness to like the collective at large. Um, 
And, you know, by April, it's safe to I, safe to say that I had, I was nowhere near writing a book. I thought you just wrote some chapters and she would like make sure the grammar was correct. And no. So by October of last year, I had a complete meltdown because at this point, like I was not expecting to invest as much money in it. I was like, why is this taking so long? I've only completed childhood because it, the memoirs in three portions, it's childhood, adolescence, and adult. And I have the most incredible editor. And I have to say the biggest thing, the biggest gift that I have ever given myself is the healing journey of writing a book. Because in the beginning, it there it would be so obvious, you know, she would come back through and say, Francesca, you completely disassociated that disassociated in this chapter. Or Francesca, this chapter is very X plus Y equals Z. Like this, this is not great for a reader or reader's experience. And you really had to sit with it. You had to go back to that dialogue. You had to go back to you on the floor. You had to go back to what you're feeling. And I got horrible migraines for, for days. It was, it was a healing journey. And um, I just finished. So right now we're in the process of my editor doing the final edit. Um, it's due to be published in October. And it's been incredibly freeing. It has... Yeah, it's it's given me that big, deep exhale that I have been looking for for 35 years. Holy shit. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> that it's what and, a process to try to get your story out. And like this fear of looking straight at yourself in the mirror, it like that. Like, you can just go ahead and write a memoir. It won't be that hard. <laughs> it brings up so much. I mean, you're in the middle of your marriage and you're talking about when you first met your partner and you're realizing all the ways that you thought that partner was going to save you and then how things are really. And then, you know, you're writing the end of the book and you're like, well, I'm not a celebrity. I'm not famous. I'm not a multimillionaire. I'm not insert here. This would make me worthy to write a memoir. You know, I'm like, how do I end this? Like, I, I, I feel, I feel like ashamed. I'm not, again, not good enough. And so the book is called Sir Thriving because that is one thing my whole entire life, even I had so many things like being in touch with spirits when I was younger, um, being in touch with other like forces greater than me in this human world. I always knew that there was some sort of purpose. Like I always, I always said, like, I felt like there was breadcrumbs. And even though I was always in survival mode, really up until most recently in this healing part of my journey, I thrived in so many different ways that brought me to where I am today. So the book is called Sir Thriving. Um, we are toying with possibly changing the title, but for now, that's what it's known as. And it really is a story of survival, but how, again, how you can turn that around and to really start thriving in your life. Like we, we can we can get to that place. And it just really starts with us talking about it. We are consistently in a healing process. And through that healing yeah. process, it is not linear. And we do fall and we do make mistakes. And we do these things at the same time, like while we are surviving in this healing process, we are also thriving because like yeah. making it from day to day when your depression is telling you not to, um, or, you know, choosing to go even one day without alcohol when that's all that you really are used to consuming and doing with your day, like making these decisions, like having that hard conversation with a partner that you haven't felt is hearing you and willing to like show up, you know, it's, it's doing the hard things that break us in order for us to rebuild. Like we have to be the person sometimes to 
break up the foundation of our life because it's not stable. It's not good. We can't build our dream home like on this foundation that just isn't working for us. And that has to be that has to be the the process of our life. Um, it's like literally we are always surviving, you know, like it's like our mm-hmm. uh, but how can we thrive? And I, I don't think that they're two separate things. I think that they they are a lot more enmeshed than we think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. It's been the title that always connected. And I know we've toyed a bit with like, yeah, but what about coming home within yourself? And, you know, that just doesn't feel good for me at the moment, because I feel like that's a journey that I'll be on for a very long time. Um, because home never felt safe. And, you know, I've I've moved 20 plus times in my life. Like I've, I've lived all around the world. Like I always took pride in the fact that I'm so adaptable. Um, but I'm adaptable because I don't allow myself to root down anywhere. And so really, you know, thriving with admits the survival, I think is just really what a lot of us can, um, identify with. I agree. I'm very, very excited for this book to be published. And I'm so grateful for this conversation. I just feel like um, my spirit needed to meet you officially. And uh, I can't wait to dive into Sir Thriving when it comes out, because I personally am in a point in my healing that I I know that it'll be an asset for me. And no doubt that the rest of my listening community will find themselves in your memoir at the same time. Like it's, it's going to be awesome. It, it will be an honor for sure. Well, it's been an honor to get to talk with you today. So thank you for taking the time and and sharing parts of yourself. And also, um, I feel like <laughs> in a way it was like a mini coaching call. Thank you for helping me <laughs> um, through some things and just not being afraid to just say fuck small talk on on all of this healing jazz. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. And you know, I want I would love to continue the conversation. I'm always hanging out on Instagram. Um, I'm always trying to be as transparent as possible with what's going through my life. I always make sure to kind of share from a from a more healed place and a wounded place, but I really do have real honest conversations over there because I think we just need more of that in our life. 100%. And um I kind of want to before we say bye um that part that you said like sharing from a healed like uh someone else, a uh, Kelsey Mead, I had her on my podcast, she's an incredible coach, an incredible friend of mine. And she said, I want to share from my wounds. No, I want to share from my scars is what she said, not from my wounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has been something that I've been trying to navigate, um, kind of like being when you're in a season where you're feeling so wounded. Again, it just comes down to choice. Like, how do I want to show up in this way? Like, how am I feeling right now in the past? Um, you know, trauma response was just keep it going. I mean, I lost my house in a fire and the next morning I was at work making sales calls. So it was like, you know, that was one version of me, which someone could say like, wow, you're so successful. And it's like, yeah, you know, not even losing my life can get me down. Like I got me. That's so toxic. <laughs> that sounds um, breaking, honestly. But now it's like, you know, just recently I've, I've been going through so much and it's, you know, how do I want to hold this duality? Um, who can I lean on for support at this time? So having my own mentor has been incredible. 
what do I want to share with this mentor? Am I coming from a place of wanting her to like fix this? Um, so I have to check myself. I'm always making sure like I'm being squeaky clean. And if there's a part of me that wants to play victim or, or wants to be a little like, oh, it's so bad. And what do I do? And I'm so scared. Then it's like, I've got to take care of that version of me first, because I can't actually receive my mentor's wisdom or healing if I'm too caught up in my own story. So it takes a lot of self-ownership. Um, and then a big part of that is a choice of like, how do I want to show up at this time? And you will quickly feel it in your body. If you feel like you're starting to maybe like overshare for validation or, um, you know, you're looking for answers from someone, you know, that really can't give them to you. You can always rein it back in. I used to be feel so guilty and ashamed when I would do that. So it has been like a learning curve. But it's just realizing like, you know, I don't really want to show my face on social media today. I don't really want to talk about this right now in this kind of energy. Um, so finding support. And even if it's like quotes or something you're finding that's inspiring you or really motivating you at this time, then sharing that. And then when you're ready and you'll be surprised, it really only takes a few days where you feel really grounded or confident um, where you can say, you know what, I want to talk about this now. And so like recently, I just talked about me going no contact with my mom and I did it through a reel. And, you know, I'll probably voice more of it uh, as time goes on, but I feel like that's where I'm at right now. And um, yeah, I feel like you just have to check in with what feels good to you. This has been phenomenal. I just, (laughs) I appreciate you so much and we will stay in contact. Um, I will find you on Instagram and I will absolutely be one of the first um, to get a copy of Sir Thriving when it drops. That's amazing. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me on your show. Fuck Small Talk is produced in partnership with Be Easy Marketing. It would mean so much if you took the time right now to follow the pod and give a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'll see you guys here next week for another Big Talk topic. Until then, let's keep moving forward.